Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a variety of tasty urban legends from the land down under. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me, as always, are the delightfully delicious Emily and Ashley. Hey! (laughs) Hi, everybody! (laughs) So, obviously, we are in Australia, in case that wasn't very clear. (laughs) We're We're ending our tour of Australia. Uh, with a handful of slices that I think uh, you might find delightful. I'm just going to throw that out there. In case you forgot where we are. <laughs> like me, because <laughs> I have the brain span of a dodo. So our first slice is constructed of some ingredients that will require you to suspend belief. So we're going to be discussing the urban legend of <laughs> the bodies in the bridge. What? <laughs> Yes. Do tell. This sounds grotesque. I'm horrified already, but that's fine. That's normal. (laughs) So the Sydney Harbour Bridge is an iconic structure that is recognized as the seventh longest spanning arch bridge in the world, as well as the tallest steel arch bridge at 134 meters, or 440 feet for us uh, American folks, from top to water level. And was the world's widest long span bridge at 48.8 meters, or 160 feet for us American folk, wide, until the Port Man Bridge in Vancouver, Canada was built in 2012. Just nibble on that for a little bit. What a show off. <laughs> Vancouver. Vancouver. They're all like, well, look at us over here. What is lesser known is that it's also apparently full of human bodies. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess my first question is why? But then my follow-up <laughs> my follow-up question is how? <laughs> and like maybe don't <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Valid questions. Valid questions. <laughs> the last thing 
I guess wasn't really a question, but I'm not taking it back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will do my best to answer those questions. (laughs) So, uh, construction on the bridge started on July 28th, 1923, and took eight years to build and caused the death of 16 workers that are recognized as having perished during its construction. But it's believed that 19 workers lost their lives. So why were three of those deaths hushed up? The mob. (laughs) The mob. The Canadian mob (laughs) came down because they were like, guess what? We're going to build something better. And we're going to make yours really shitty because we're going to put some bodies in it. And then they rode their mooses back up to the Great White North. (laughs) So the mob is is sort of like Dudley Do Right in this scenario. (laughs) If he was Dudley Done Wrong in this situation, yes, yes. Well, here's here's the thing about that. Everyone knows Dudley Do Wrong is five times hotter than Dudley Do Right. So. Mm-hmm. Fat. <laughs> Ooh, all right. So the story goes that three contractors fell into one of the huge pylons which is a rod that supports the structural integrity of a bridge and is usually made from steel or concrete. And that's something that I did not know, so I Googled it. Unfortunately for these contractors, it was deemed too difficult and costly to get them out because the project was under such a tight deadline. So it was decided that the construction company would leave them there to die and their bodies were permanently entombed in the pylons. You may be thinking to yourself, but how the hell could they get away with this? Wouldn't their families wonder what happened to them? Yes, we were wondering this. Well, apparently, (laughs) these three workers were drifters who had come to the area for work and had no real ties to the area. And they just happened to be the three that fell in. The three with nobody. They just have... Okay, sure. (laughs) That tracks. (laughs) So no one cares. Oh my goodness. So to this day, many people are unaware that one of their nation's most iconic structures is actually a mass grave. And that's uh well, that's messed up. Yeah, just fun times. Yeah, um quick so, thing. Uh, yeah. Australia, do you want a haunted bridge? <laughs> <laughs> because that's how you get haunted bridges. <laughs> also fact. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that the, the company's like, you know what? We'll report 16 deaths, but 19 sounds too bad. So let's just erase those other three. They never happened. Probably because those three, it was like, well, we knew that they were in trouble, but it would have cost a lot of money to fix them. So probably shouldn't put out there that we let three people die on purpose to save a little moolah. Just throwing that out there. That's dastardly. Allegedly. Oops. Looks like it's time for me to go on break. I'll be back in just a sec to deliver your next slice of Urban Legends. And we're back. This next slice is a crazy mashup of flavors that may leave a bitter taste in your mouth. Oh, goody. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be visiting Schneider's Alley. Have either of you heard of this one? Like the chips? Schneider's? Yeah, it's a chip, isn't it? 
Yeah, you're not going to like no. this one. Okay. So no collection of urban legends is truly complete without a story about a mad scientist-esque character who gets off on torture and murder. And that's exactly the case with the story of Dr. Schneider and Schneider's Alley in Adelaide. So I thought what you were going to say was no collection of <laughs> urban legends is complete without a death alley, but we pretty much ended up there anyway. <laughs> I'm good with it. (laughs) Legend states that Dr. Michael Schneider lived in Clifton Manor House in the early 1900s with his wife and child. (laughs) With his wife. With his wife. (laughs) The story goes on to state that he lost his mind after his wife and child died tragically, but there are some that believe he actually murdered them. Because why not? To be fair... It, when a woman dies, a lot of times, if it's mysterious, it's the husband. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> We've read enough true crime oh, where we no. know where this is going. Yeah, the true crime podcaster's there. People know yep. I'm not wrong. It's not. You don't <laughs> yep. want to hear it, but you also know I'm not wrong. Yep. So driven mad in his grief, Dr. Schneider started treating his patients in a small cabin in the forest that surrounded his mansion. And I think we can all see where this is going, since nothing happens in a small cabin in the woods ever ends in sunshine and rainbows. It's said that Dr. Schneider would perform surgical experiments on his unwilling patients, all of which were done without the aid of anesthesia. Because why? Mm, No. Not a fan. Mm -mm. Yeah. There are also rumors that he tortured children and also carried out satanic rituals on the property. Because, of course, you cannot do any of these other things without also worshipping Satan. As you can imagine, this insane method of medical practice ended in the deaths of numerous patients, and it's believed that Dr. Schneider may have murdered dozens of people that he would keep in his freezer. Because... Science! Science, yes. Science. As we learned last time, freezers are a great place to put dead things that don't belong in freezers. And poop. And poop. For all we know, there was poop there, too. I didn't look too closely. He was a mad scientist. He was a mad scientist. For all we knew, he was into saving stuff. Yeah. God. (laughs) Legend states that after the doctor died, he was found in his house with the limbs and bodies of his many victims scattered around him, with the police officer taking a picture of what looked to be the body of his dead wife nearby. There are rumors that Schneider's Alley is now haunted and that you can hear the screams of of his victims and see their ghosts should you be brave enough to venture onto the property. Now we're going to talk about what really happened at Schneider's Alley. Because the truth behind the legend isn't anywhere near as sinister as one is led to believe. Instead of being called Schneider's Alley. That's good. Yeah. The area is actually called Andrew's Walk. So there's the first thing. And it's basically a small alleyway that was once the entrance to Clifton Manor. There was, in fact, a well-liked and highly respected man named Michael Schneider who lived in Clifton Manor in Stonyfell, Burnside with his wife and children. It's noted that the family moved there in 1934, even though the manor itself was built in 1850, which is kind of cool. I like old things. And Michael was given the title of honorary ophthalmologist which is an eye doctor for people who don't know. Yeah. 
at the Adelaide Hospital in 1937. This title means that he was either retired or had made noteworthy contributions to the hospital, earning him an honored status amongst the former and current staff. So kind of a big deal. If you see pictures of the property, Clifton Manor is quite beautiful, and the Schneiders actually maintained a private zoo that included kangaroos, koalas, emus, deer, and birds native to Australia. And big cats? And no big cats. I didn't hear anything about big cats. <laughs> hippos? Damn. No hippos. It's noted that the zoo, which stood on 40 acres, was safe and the animals were all well taken care of and greatly admired by visitors to the manor. The Schneiders were a form of philanthropists, opening their beautifully tended garden and zoo up to the public in order to raise money for the various charities that they supported in their local community. They also regularly hosted garden parties, parish balls, small gatherings, and even a Christmas Eve party every year. Dr. Schneider was very passionate about wildlife preservation and the proper care of nature and land in general and practiced botany in his spare time. The Schneiders closed their private zoo after Dr. Schneider enlisted in the Australian Medical Corps during World War II and the koalas were released back into the wild while the rest of the animals were donated to the local Adelaide Zoo. Or so they claimed. <laughs> so they claimed. For all we know, there were some big cats that managed to escape. <laughs> in 1937, the same year, he acquired the title of honorary ophthalmologist. He also joined the South Australia Forest League in an effort to help save the natural forest from deforestation. He passed in 1970, a few years before his wife, and he did lose two of his children prior to his death, but they were both grown adults and not young children, as the urban legends suggest. There are also no documented reports of any unusual deaths or strange goings on at the Schneider property or anywhere in the surrounding area, let alone any murderous experiments. Upon his death, the house and property were purchased by the TNG Mutual Life Society and developed into a subdivision and nature reserve. Local residents of Andrews Walk and the Michael Perry Reserve have to constantly battle with thrill seekers trying to investigate the area looking for paranormal activity. In fact, in 2012, the local council had to put up a restriction for the general public where you could be fined up to $5,000 if you are caught trespassing between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. without a proper permit. Ooh. So where did the origin of the story come from then? I don't know, but when I was researching this, apparently like a lot of his descendants are still alive and they're super pissed that this urban legend exists. Well, yeah. Because as I just told you, he was actually a super awesome guy and did a lot of really amazing things for the Adelaide community. So part of why I wanted to cover this urban legend is to just kind of be like, maybe don't spread this urban legend around anymore because it's kind of a piece of shit. So just don't do that. This guy is actually a really nice guy that didn't kill a bunch of people. He did do eye stuff, though. My theory is someone just didn't like him because mm -hmm. he seemed really awesome and was really cool and they were jealous. So they just decided that they were going to spread a bunch of crap around because haters going to hate. Yep. That's what yeah. I was thinking, too. Or if you think it's this big estate, right? Mm -hmm. When you're a kid, if he was older and you have little kids coming around... That could have intimidated little kids, so they create these stories that then turn into urban legends, because little kids do stuff like that all the time. Yep. And if you grow up and tell that story as you get older, this crazy old guy lived here, and I heard stories that he killed somebody. 
And it's one of those things, too, where if you think about the fact that he did have a zoo on the property and he sold all the animals back in World War II when he joined up with the service, he didn't pass for another like 50 years. So seeing all those like cages and stuff like empty for 50 some years, that would be super creepy to see this huge like area of their land without anything in it. That could have been part of what caused the urban legend, like seeing all these like creepy empty cage things. And I don't know. But either way, like when I actually like started to dive into it, I was like, that's really shitty. Like this guy was actually really cool. They sounded like great people because they donated a lot of money to their local community. Don't be buttheads. Don't be buttheads. On that note, our next slice may be a little too hot to handle. You be the judge. We're traveling to... Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, for our next urban legend. On the morning of August 13th, 1940, a Lockheed Hudson, or A-1697 for all of you plane buffs out there, bomber plane, (laughs) was on its way to Canberra from Melbourne. Even though the weather that day was sunny, calm, and perfect for flying, just before the plane arrived at the aerodome, it suddenly banked hard to the left and nosedived, crashing near the woods after spiraling out of control. The plane burst into flames upon impact, and in the time that it took rescuers to arrive, all 10 of the passengers and crew were beyond rescuing. Yeah. The victims of this tragedy included three cabinet ministers, Jeffrey Street, Minister for the Army, Sir Henry Gullett, Minister for External Affairs, and James Fairbairn, Minister for Air and the RAAF, which is the Royal Australian Air Force. Also included Australia's top army general, Sir Cyril Brudenell White, a private secretary for the air minister, a lieutenant colonel, and four Royal Australian Air Force crew members. This crash not only devastated the families involved, but also cost the prime minister some of his greatest allies and closest friends. The incident, dubbed the Canberra Air Disaster, went on record as one of the most tragic events to take place in local history and the area, and is now surrounded by the Fairbairn pine plantation and holds a memorial for the RAAF bomber crash. This urban legend is called the Burning Airman. And I think you'll understand why in just a little bit. So the crash itself is shrouded in mystery. Who was flying the plane? Why did it crash? In a surprising move, no photographs were taken of the wreckage or the location of the bodies, further adding to the mystery of who was piloting the plane. That's questionable. Mm-hmm. It gets hinkier. The reason for the conspiracy is that even though Robert E. Hitchcock was supposed to be piloting the plane on this run, and who was in history books noted as the person who crashed the plane, rumors circulated that James Fairbairn, who was the air minister, was hoping to fly the plane during this short trip. Even though Fairbairn was an accomplished pilot, he'd never flown a Hudson model plane before, a plane that was known as being particularly difficult to fly, not to mention it stalled out easily. So remember how no pictures were taken? Fun fact! Minister Fairbairn's right arm was disfigured and noticeably shorter than his left, following an injury he'd sustained in the past. It would have been fairly easy to tell if he'd piloted the plane based on this fact alone, regardless of how disfigured the bodies were after being burned. But no pictures were taken, so... When you say he had a noticeably shorter arm, I totally pictured Deadpool. <laughs> 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 
I was I was thinking more of like what is it scary movie like the yeah, strong hand that's, that's what I was hand. thinking about so the cause of death on all of the death certificates of the victims is also quite peculiar each and every victim is listed as having died from fractured skulls painting a picture that everyone had died instantly before the plane bursts into flames. In fact, in an article that was published the next day in the Argus, officials at the site noted that the plane was pretty intact for such a crash, and had it not caught fire, chances are most, if not all, of the men would have climbed out of the wreckage relatively unharmed. If this is accurate, then everyone on the plane would have died from smoke inhalation and possibly been burnt alive, which is horrifying. <gasps> Ew. At least two of the bodies were noted in police reports as being in the aisle toward the back of the plane, and it's unclear if they were perhaps knocked back because of the crash or if they had been trying to escape before the fire broke out. Additionally, the bodies had been removed from the wreckage right after the fire had been extinguished, again, without any photographs being taken beforehand to note where they had fallen prior to them being removed from the plane. So now that we know all the grisly mysteries and all that fun stuff, we're going to talk about the legends. Not long after the tragedy, residents in close proximity to the woods started reporting strange encounters. Many reported seeing unusual lights near the crash site, while others claimed to hear what sounded like the drone of an airplane before experiencing a deafening boom of sound. There were also reports of a figure seen dashing across the road late at night, covered in flames. They're both shaking their heads no. I don't like that. I don't like no. that. That's uh-uh. horrifying. Yeah. On the 20th anniversary of the crash, the monument I mentioned earlier was erected at the site by former Prime Minister Robert Menzies. It actually became a popular makeout spot. His name was Menzies? Yeah. M-E-N-Z-I-E-S. <laughs> Anybody else find that funny, ladies? <laughs> Not if you're making it a makeout spot. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it, but your face was like killing me. No. No. Sorry. It's okay. okay. <laughs> so it actually became a popular makeout spot because who doesn't love necking near tragedy? Uh, oh, until- God. <laughs> oh, God. No. <laughs> Somebody died over there. I want to make out. <laughs> Listen, you don't know. People are into whatever they're into. Like, I'm, I'm saying that's, you know, for any given thing, basically the rule 34 of life is that for any given activity, that's someone's king. <laughs> like, sure. I mean, I definitely adapted it because, you know, actually rule 34 is that if you can name a thing, if it exists, there's porn for it. But really... Yes. My thing's not that big <laughs> yeah. of a stretch. Yeah. If porn exists for it, it's a thing. If mm-hmm. porn exists or the porn for wouldn't it, exist. it's someone's kink. And you know I'm right. Yep. So. And it has been. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so this was a popular makeout spot until the road that led to the monument was closed. Womp womp. Buzzkill. 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 <laughs> Many accounts of strange paranormal activity have been reported in the area, such as people catching pictures of orbs on their cameras, which, you know, it's a popular thing, or having the batteries of their electronics completely drained, even though they were fully charged before. Again, another popular ghost hunting thing. A couple who had been in the area reported that when they were walking in the woods at night, which never, ever do that, that's just 
rule 101 of not dying, they heard someone screaming. So they ran to their camper van, which is smart. The engine refused to start. And to their horror, a ghostly nurse emerged from the woods and ran to their vehicle, asking if they were hurt and demanding they let her in. Which, no, 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 but no. Where did, where did she come from? I don't know. And I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> That's where the actual kink originated. It's the nurse. <laughs> it's the nurse from the woods. <laughs> I love a creepy nurse. Let me in. Creepy let me dead in. nurses. <laughs> you can paint it however you want, but it's somebody's into that. I promise you. <laughs> Someone somewhere is like, ooh, who told them about my secret mm-hmm. kink? <laughs> <laughs> Woods, the dark nurses. Uh. <laughs> oh, God, your face. <laughs> oh, no. I need a minute. <laughs> They were finally able to get their van to start and took off, with the nurse disappearing as they hightailed it out of there. But of course, the most chilling account was that of a teenage girl who came screaming out of the woods one night. When she was finally able to be calmed down, she stated that she had been chased by an airman, an airman who was engulfed in flames. No, that's just sad. Yeah. Yeah. And scary. I don't like it. I don't like it either. Well, would you look at the time? We've already reached our final slice. So why don't you stay right there while I run back to grab that for you? <laughs> Sorry for the wait. Our last slice will make you drop it. Because it's hot. <laughs> You're such a dork. <laughs> um, so we're dropping it like it's hot? Is that is that what's happening? <laughs> That's what's happening. You'll understand in one second. Snoop Dogg. Drop bears. Oh, an interesting <laughs> <Yeah>. creature. <laughs> That's native to Australia. You like that? You like that transition? <laughs> yeah, can you drop, drop it? Because it? <laughs> it's hot. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I wish people could see that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's for the best. Folklore describes it as a marsupial the size of a leopard with orange fur and powerful forearms that it uses to tear its prey into pieces and to give warm hugs. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Drop bears are said to be related to koalas, just with blood-dripping fangs that like to hunt in the dark. What? What? They tend to dwell in areas of closed forest in tall trees, but can also be found in open forest or shrubland. So basically anywhere there's a tree, there could also be a drop bear. Examples of areas where they can be found include the Great Dividing Range in southeastern Australia, the Mount Lofty (laughs) Ranges, and Kangaroo Island, which sounds like a fun place to visit if you want to get punched to death by a kangaroo. (laughs) Check that one off my bucket list. (laughs) Because they're assholes. (laughs) Evil assholes. You're gonna go hang out with the koalas <laughs> be dicks together. I've already had chlamydia. I don't need to hang out with koalas. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> what? I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm gonna Google koalas and chlamydia. <laughs> well, that's a real thing that I didn't want to know about, so you're <laughs> 
I don't know. No wonder koalas are so angry. <laughs> Again, allegedly. <laughs> Unlike most carnivorous animals, it lacks the sharp canines used to rip the flesh from its victims, but instead uses its powerful premolars, which is honestly probably worse. Generally silent, they have been known to emit a bone-chilling and shrill yowl prior to an attack which I'm sure is very adorable. Drop bears are said to prey on animals of medium to large size, sometimes those much larger than itself. They mainly go for slow-moving mammals that invade their territory, which causes them to become aggressive. So Americans stay away. Pretty much. (laughs) Their method of attack is basically, you guessed it, dropping onto their victims from the trees in a surprise attack. While the prey is stunned, they will bite them in the neck and haul them back into the trees away from other predators if it's small enough. Back off, it's mine! (laughs) This is mine! (laughs) Although drop bears sound terrifying, the chances of them seriously injuring a person is very slim. Even though the third most common injury sustained while visiting Australia is being attacked by a drop bear. (laughs) Oh my god. There have been reports of bushwalkers who have encountered these creatures and (laughs) that the worst they've suffered are lacerations and in some instances, a few bites. And chlamydia. (laughs) All the chlamydia. (laughs) Funnily enough, there is a way for you to protect yourself from these savage creatures. Due to their heightened sense of smell, some claim that spreading Vegemite or toothpaste behind your ears will ward them off. Not worth it. Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) You can also decorate your hair with forks, which I guess will be too painful for them to contend with. And if you're brave enough to stare at them directly, this could ward them off as they enjoy the element of surprise when attacking. So just stare up in the trees whenever you walk underneath them and you'll be fine. Until a bird shits on your face. Unless you get attacked by something else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll work out awesome for all the other things that want to kill you, because now you're looking up. (laughs) Then a kangaroo just comes by and just punches you in the chest. Snake's like, here's my opportunity. (laughs) As you can imagine, drop bears are actually a completely fabricated urban legend started in the 20th century to scare and poke fun at tourists. Since the running joke is that everything in Australia can kill you, Many locals decided that adding one more creature to the mix would be a hilarious way to pull one over on visitors to the country. And even though these creatures are a complete hoax, there were, in fact, similar creatures in the area that lived there during the Pleistocene era around four million years ago. The Thylacolio carnifex, or the marsupial lion, is similar in description to that of a drop bear, and evidence suggests that they were adept climbers and hunters. They weighed more than 200 pounds and had a skull very similar in shape to that of a koala or a wombat. This creature also had very sharp and very big rodent-like front teeth, which the Western Australian Museum described as, quote, an enormous bolt-cutting-like device, enabling Thylacolio to slice through flesh with ease, end quote. And I, Delightful. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this delicious tour of the land down under. All the ingredients that I used for this episode came from the following sources. One, do.co. 
GladstoneObserver.com, AustralianTraveler.com, AdelaideHauntedHorizons.com, .au, GlobalUrbanLegends.blogspot, AdelaideBlogspot.com, TheDeadHistory.com, Australian.Museum, ABC.net.au, GreatValueVacations.com, that one was about drop bears, which I love. And HuffPost.com. So, uh, yeah. Anybody have anything they'd like to share that they're really excited and happy about? <laughs> or discuss about urban legends in Australia? I'm excited that you covered drop bears. <laughs> Apparently, it's like a thing that tourists really come in thinking that that's legit, that they need to be worried about this. Because Australia has put out articles and like the zoos have done things. It's been on the news. So people come in thinking that this is a legitimate thing that they need to be afraid of, even though it's so ridiculous. Yeah, they have like signs everywhere with like illustrations of like bear-like creatures c- coming down from the sky. How you need to be aware mm-hmm. of these bear-like creatures coming to attack you. Well done, Australia. That was brilliant. <laughs> I thought it was. I good. love that they did that. You guys got anything good? Not really. I mean, the only thing I can think of is not really good. <laughs> oh no! Which is just that, like. WandaVision's almost over and it'll be over by the time this comes out so I guess it's okay to say that it's been amazing but also I wish Disney would quit kicking me in my feelings because I don't like it (laughs) yeah I second that although I am very excited for the other series that they have planned they're gonna kick you in the feelings for those two just so you know I know I know it's how they do if they do anything horrible to my Loki, they'll be getting a sternly worded email. I mean, what can they possibly do that they haven't already done? I mean, if they make him go away forever. Um, no, they can't do that. Do, okay, I'm not going to say it. Don't you dare. Other than that. Yay. Wanda. <laughs> Apparently there is a blizzard upstairs waiting for me. The ice cream treat, not the snow. Oh, so I'm very excited. <laughs> I was confused for a second. <laughs> the ice cream treat. So I'm very excited to see what that is. Because I like being fat. <laughs> I think it's funny getting a blizzard in the middle of a winter. We're Minnesotan. I'm literally wearing basketball shorts today. And I wore them every time I went outside. And it's we got like three inches of snow today. <laughs> so. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be all melted by tomorrow. It's fine. Before we go, I would like to share a lovely review of our pizzeria from page 87. She says, love these ladies. Great content and subjects told by great friends. I absolutely love it. Thank you, Miss Page, for your lovely review of our pizzeria. Thank you. Thank you for joining a slice of Urban Legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. We're sweet and cheesy, and not everyone understands us, but we're glad that you do, question mark. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and 
earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, the $7 Cryptid Hunter, and the $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAPP Pizza Pod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at pineapppizzapod at gmail.com. Don't forget, APP. That's important. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome and we love you. 